the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. Recently, the United States Department of Labor came out with a blockbuster jobs number. To be precise, in the month of January, the US economy created 517,000 new jobs. And yet still predictions of a recession in the United States come thick and fast. With me is Jason Borbera-Sheen, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London, to try and unravel this conundrum. Now, Jason, this is my theory, and you can pick every single one of my three points to pieces. I would welcome that. Number one, that blockbuster number was like a market ending a trend. It was just a blowout number, and we're probably going to have a steady reduction in the number of jobs being created because of the so-called looming recession. Number two, we can have a job-creating recession, which seems completely unlikely to me, but that's point number two. Number three, commentators, experts, economists, fund managers, asset managers, just general people who buy into the recession theory have got it completely wrong. What do you think? I think that it's very unlikely that a recession can occur when you have as strong an employment market as we, we currently see. And that's true, not just if you look at the uh, non-farm payrolls numbers, but look across job openings, look at jobless claims, which, by the way, I'd focus the most on, perhaps. But also even looking at sort of PMI data, yes, things look currently weak, but I would say on a cross-section of data, not sufficiently weak to suggest that we are currently in or imminently approaching a recession. And I think one of the things you should probably just focus on in that regard is jobless claims, as I mentioned. So I think on average, they've taken, if we go back over the last few cycles, about seven months for those claims to start to increase once the economy has peaked. So seven months after the peak of the economy, you should start to see claims rising. And then from that point, it's taken eight months for a recession to occur after those claims start to rise. And we're not seeing those claims rise at the moment. Our base case, though, still is that there will be a recession. I think the timing of that has been pushed out because ultimately I think people did get overly excited that it might be occurring very quickly. I think perhaps the magnitude of it is going to be questioned based on how strong the jobs market is. There are two issues though that then come with that. And I think we've sort of got to say that we assign that as our base case, but there are tails. One tail would be that even if the economy is actually more resilient than many had thought, the fact that the employment markets are so strong will prevent inflation getting down from a, say, 4% handle down to a 2% number. Yeah. And that's a consequence of the fact that most inflation is now orientated within services, and 60% of that is wages, essentially, or, or is a proxy for wages. If there is a very strong employment market, it's improbable, I think, that then inflation comes down sufficiently, and then the Fed have to come back, and they have to raise again, or they have to keep rates much tighter than, than growth would otherwise demand. And then I think there's this other tail case, which is sort of your third point, which is that maybe everyone's just got this completely wrong. Because ultimately, absent a big rise in unemployment and absent significant corporate worker detachment, you can't really have a recession, I think. I mean, it's certainly not officially, because the NBER takes that as one of the factors into declaring one. It's interesting you talk about interest rates because I read an article today that said that the Fed might be saying, OK, this was our peak scenario for US interest rates. Maybe we have to ratchet it up a notch or two. So in other words, they're saying, well, maybe we thought for argument's sake, uh, 5% was going to be the tops. Maybe now it's um, uh, 5.5%, 6% or beyond. So that jobs number really rattled them, I think. 
It did, certainly. And if you look at the market reaction, actually, after the FOMC and Powell's press conference, there was a, a sort of everything rally where, you know, yields were down and equities were up. Post the NFP number on Friday, that's reversed to an extent. And uh, in fact, immediately after the FOMC's press conference, there was a sort of pricing of further cuts into the yield curve, and that's been taken back out. Ultimately, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Jerome Powell says today, speaking uh, at around 5pm UK time. But also, we've started to hear from a few Fed speakers. We heard earlier today from Raphael Bostic, the Atlanta Fed, who intimated that, yes, there might be a requirement to see higher rates on the back of it, but there could be some anomalies within the data. I think there well could be because there was a change to the methodology, but you probably can't explain away the strength of that report on some uh, mythology changes alone. Jason, you and your team at 91, how do you define a recession? Because you've mentioned PMI, strong PMI data. You've mentioned jobless claims. You prefer that to non-farm payrolls increases or decreases and also the unemployment rate. I understand that. What else do you look at? Obviously, GDP. GDP, too, is a lagging indicator to the extent that it's released You know, quite far after the quarter in which you've actually been through. The indicators we tend to focus on would be the yield curve, which is still inverted and still suggestive of a recession. The Senior Loan Officers Survey, which was released yesterday, and which the Fed would have looked at for their most recent meeting, which assesses the lending standards of a broad cross-section of banks in the United States and was the ultimate lead indicator for the, the, the credit crunch in 2008. And that has continued to show tightening standards, meaning that uh, credit availability is continuing to reduce. So these aspects of the economy are still to us suggesting that a recession is probable. The timing of it is still up for debate. It seems most likely, based on what we can see, it's not going to be in the first half of this year. It's more probable to be in the second half or early part of 2024. And then it's how assets react around that. So I think the market is sort of having to deal with quite a few perhaps unusual tailwinds and headwinds. So you have the US uh, slowing down economically, but not, it seems, looking uh, into the abyss of a recession right now. You have China at the same time accelerating. You have you know, very strong employment markets, but against that, the fact that ultimately that could be conducive to inflation and other aspects of the economy are slowing. So the manufacturing side of the economy is slow. So that, I think, is a series of crosswinds that the market is trying to deal with. And one thing also perhaps to bear in mind is it seems like we entered the year with very negative positioning. People were pretty risk off, both in terms of bonds and equities. And it only took you know, a slight glimmer of light to induce a pretty strong rally in some of those assets this year. Okay, to summarise, what I've taken from this regarding timing of the potential recession is that jobless claims number. So I would say, given what I've gleaned, is that you're saying that possibly the most likely is seven to eight months henceforth that the recession will start to become apparent. Would that be a reasonable assumption from a layman? If, if we start to see a rise in jobless claims, mm -hmm. um, so you have to sort of, they can be noisy, so you have to look at a moving average of them. But if we see that number increase, then from that point, on average, it's been eight months that, yeah. that a recession has then started. And the reason those numbers, I think, are good are they're focused in the employment markets, but they're, they're focusing in on people actually becoming unemployed or seeking compensation for that. And they are not as subject to revisions as things like the NFP are. The NFP can be subject to some pretty significant revisions. Jason, thanks so much for your analysis. That's Jason Borbera-Sheen, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. 
The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.